Can you handle the truth? Then join me at A Dose of Truth Podcast, where I, Nurse Colette, discuss many unknown realities of what has been going on throughout the COVID pandemic. Tune in today to find out more and what you can do to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half episode with Jill Hines, co-director of Health Freedom Louisiana. We just found so many things to talk about in this episode, we decided it was best to break the show in half. And what's crazy is we probably could have talked for many more hours on all the things, because y'all, there are so many things. (laughs) So welcome to part two, where you're just starting the fun mask conversation, and we'll dive more into the big vaccine conversation, and who is accountable for the lack of, or shall I say, non-existent informed consent. So sit back, listen, and remember, your voice matters and your story matters. Okay, so backtrack just a little bit. So part of the masking issue that we had a problem with was that the masks were under EUA, EUA uh, emergency use authorization, right? We had compiled a PDF with all these mask studies. Fiorella had been working, you know, just furiously compiling all this information, making graphics, trying to get information out about it. And we knew that there were no safety data on children wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And we'd seen one woman out of uh, Michigan, uh, Kristen Megan, she's an industrial hygienist, who train people on the proper use of masking, donning and doffing when you're talking about taking one off called donning and doffing. And I remember talking about, you know, pregnant women wearing a mask. What does that do? Because that's actually two people wearing a mask. That's the mother and the unborn child. There's no safety studies on all of that. So we were, we were so concerned about people not being informed, you know, because part of our issue is informed consent. We want people to have informed consent and they were not being informed that this is a medical device, the medical procedure that had no safety data on it. And they kept emphasizing efficacy, efficacy, efficacy. And I'm like, safety, safety, safety. And show me efficacy too. Right. We knew there was no efficacy either, but uh, you know, our our biggest concern, especially for children was safety and actually leading into July of 2020, when they implemented the mitigation efforts in schools and the Bessie board, which is the board of elementary and secondary education, they were voting on whether or not they were going to implement the recommended mitigation efforts that LDH had recommended to them. We sent them a packet, of, I think it was like 14, 15, 16 pages long, um, a request, and we included all these studies and whatnot. We requested their evidence of safety of all the mitigation efforts that they were going to be implemented. And I think there was about seven or eight uh, topics that we requested. Show us the evidence of safety of masking children seven to eight hours a day. Right. Show us that that does not impede impede learning. Show us that it does not cause any kind of psychological issues. You know, th- so yes. often we think of just the yes. physical, but what is that doing? Like your smile. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, yes. And now we know. Now we know that it has caused so much harm. As much as they tried to deny it, mm-hmm. it has caused so much 
harm to children. I mean, I read one article where they're seeing children that have distinct autism type symptoms. They're not, they don't have autism, but they can't verbalize. They can't communicate, you know, because so many people were left at home. They had to in, entertain their child somehow, some way. So they sat them in front of a computer screen or whatever while they did their work. I mean, they disrupted our lives so tremendously. We wanted to know what their evidence of safety was for all of these mitigation efforts, even social distancing. We asked them, you know, what are the psychological consequences of child, telling children that they can't can't be within six feet right. of their their peers or their yeah. teacher. And so we wanted to know, you know, what's the physical impact of chronic hand sanitizing use and stuff like that. I mean, all of this affects children and their health. And we wanted to know if you're going to implement it, the Bessie board has a fiduciary duty. Mm-hmm. They have to make sure that whatever they implement is safe for children. And we wanted to know what's their evidence of safety. So we sent them a a letter the day before they voted. I say a letter. Like I said, it was between like 15 and 16 pages long. And we gave them a deadline of like the end of the month. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the month, we didn't hear anything. Day before, we sent another packet, like 17 pages with more studies. Because this is what prompted me to do that. At the Bessie board meeting, uh, Dr. Cantor who became our state health officer after Dr. Bu? Dr. Cantor mm-hmm. made, yeah, <laughs> he made a comment that, and I think it was because he'd read our, our letter. He said that the, all of their mitigation at, um, efforts that there are guidelines they were submitting were all evidence-based, right? And I thought, well, I know that's not true because at the time they were still implementing social distancing based on a model, you know, computer-generated model. And I'm like, you don't use a model if you have day-to-day data on how social distancing impacts, you know, my virus mitigation and stuff like that. So that are, his comments that what they were implementing was based on evidence-based data prompted me to write another 16-page document saying, okay, he says it's based on evidence-based data. Show it to Show me. It. Show, Show me. me the study. Show me the study. Show me the show me the science. You know. Yes. So we sent them another thing, and that's when we actually finally got a comment. Uh, <laughs> um, nobody said anything to us about it. It's like they were just ignoring us. And we finally, with that second letter, we finally got a communication from Joan Hunt, who is the executive counsel for the Louisiana Department of Education. Mm-hmm. And going back and forth with her a couple of times. Um, I finally had to ask her, I was just like, so what you're telling me is you don't have the data, you know, because she was telling me what I needed was really for my question was really for the CDC. Yeah. And I'm like, "Mm, no, no, no. The CDC is not implementing any of this stuff. The Bessie board is implementing these mitigation efforts. Mm -hmm. So what you're telling me is you don't have any safety data. And then from that on, from then on, it was just silence. No no more communication with Louisiana. Department of Education, or at least with the Executive Council. And so, but I did, I took her suggestion and I did a public records request. I did one of LDH. I sent a public records request to LDH saying, you know, during this meeting, I did timestamp, I think, of the meeting saying Dr. Kander made this comment that all of his stuff was based on evidence-based data. Show me all of his supporting documents to support that statement 
that what he's implementing or the guidelines they're recommending are based on evidence-based data. And it took them about a month. A month later, I get an email back from them and they included about 40 links um, to web pages and whatnot. And all of them were, the majority of them, I guess, were um, mitigation studies or transmission studies. Like how did this virus transmit here in this community and how did it train? Nothing on safety, not a single thing on safety. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I got when I did that public records request. And then I did one of the CDC asking them for all of their randomized control trials of children being masked for two hours a day, four hours a day, six hours a day, eight hours a day. And also show me what you got for pregnant women Mm -hmm. wearing masks, you know, seven to eight hours a day. Mm And it took them a little while to respond to that request too. And when they finally did, they sent me a link uh, to how to properly wear a mask on their website. <laughs> You're like, show me the science. I'm like, I'm all I'm thinking is show me the money. Like, how is this? Yes. Somebody's, I, I mean, what else are we supposed to think here? Yeah. Going back to... This is a human rights issue. They were ch- they were literally changing behavior of these children. You know, some of them they couldn't even talk to their seatmates yeah. if they didn't have their mask on. Like if you didn't have your mm-hmm. mask on, you have to sit face forward. Yeah, you can't look this way. Like when you're eating, you have to look face way. Right. I mean, we're literally changing behavior. What does that do to a child? That's and so our point was that without this safety data. It's a human rights issue. This is a medical ethics issue. They were implementing medical devices, master medical device under EUA. They were changing behavior. They were having these children um, hand sanitized constantly. All of this goes back to human rights. There was no informed consent that they had no data. So many parents didn't want this. And I'm like, again, that's parental right. Like, well, I don't want my child. And that's, I had to pull my kids out of school because, and I love their little school, but I was like, I'm not putting my five-year-old and my six-year-old in a mask for them to go brand new school, like, go, you know, and, and and then come home with this fear of got to wash my hands. Oh, I got to do this. Got to do that. I don't want to have to kill grandma. My five-year-old does not need to know that she could have the power to kill grandma. Yes. What is she five? since went out the window, yep. but to maybe protect the elderly, which yeah, of course we want to protect the elderly. Let's let them stay home. Exactly. Exactly. And this is one of the kickers, you know, one of the things for any kind of drug under EUA, an individual has to be informed, first of all, that it's under EUA. They have to be informed of any kind of alternatives. Mm-hmm. They have to be informed that they have the, the right to refuse. We had the right to refuse the mask from the day one under federal law. And that's when we were so frustrated. We couldn't get that information out to people. You have the right to refuse. But one other little thing in that federal law states, anything under EUA has to have a reporting portal. You have to be able to report adverse events associated with that 
medical intervention if it's under EUA. And so a year later, like spring of 2021, maybe fall of 2021, I can't remember when it happened because that's when parents really got on fire. We went back to school and they were still masking. I mean, parents were done and they really got mobilized across the state. It was fantastic to see it happen. When I gave this explanation, I gave a talk to a group over in Shreveport where there was a mom that actually created a document that allowed parents to report adverse events associated with their child masking. And one of the first things that she got, Colette, this is so disgusting. One of the first reports she got was of a woman who's, I think it was a five or six year old, went to school, went to the bathroom, their mask fell in the toilet and the teacher made them wear the mask the rest of the day. That was one of the first reports that she got. I mean, I cried for that child. They should have never been forced to do that. Never been forced. Of course, the mom, when she found out, she pulled the kid out. She pulled yeah. the kid out. But how many of that? How many Oh, it was happening all that. over, stomping on it, yep. switching masks yep. out. I like your mask. Let me, <laughs> you know, yeah. like all of that. Oh, yeah. goodness. I know. That's what I'm like. Oh, this is. There's so much that I mm-hmm. always want to talk about on these. I really do, guys. Y'all, I try to limit it because I know, you know, podcasts can people talking. Yeah. You got you're in your car. I'm trying to make it short <laughs> for y'all, but it's so hard. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Okay. So a couple other questions because I am trying to hone this in. How do y'all have the energy to take on such a controversial movement? I mean, the, the only thing that keeps me going, Colette, and this is like a fire in my belly. It just, and again, I, I can't tell you how much uh, this is a conviction from the Lord because no way I would have been doing this. I, I cannot let them win. Like they have a platform They have unlimited resources. They literally have the governor in their pocket. This is LDH, but they are so there's, they've done things that have harmed people so incredibly. They've, uh, they've sacrificed the health and education of our children, their social lives. I mean, we've had, we've had children in this state that have committed suicide because of the, not because of the, the COVID, not because of the virus but literally because of the mitigation efforts, they're quarantining, the constant quarantining, that's lockdown. A quarantine is a lockdown. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we cannot, we cannot let them win. We cannot let their actions go unanswered. And really, honestly, we cannot let it go unpunished. There's going to be a day of reckoning in this state where people will come to the realization, the harms that have been done to our children, especially. And I hope, I hope, I hope there is a trial and people are held accountable for what has happened because they violated federal law. They violated state law. They violated our constitutional rights. They violated medical ethics. At some point, somebody's got to be held accountable, whether it's the governor, whether it's individuals within the Department of Health, whether it's, I I don't know, but somebody that they've got to, to realize how wrong the situation has been. And honestly, you know, one of the things I've always said is that injury is a catalyst. It was a catalyst in my 
apply. When I realized that my children had been harmed, it just set me on a path that I have not been able to walk away from. Today, there's a woman up here that I interviewed. Her name is Alicia Smith, and her injury was very similar to Angelia's. Um, when I interviewed her the first time, I mean, she was hitting herself in the head with her arm. Her arm was just, she had no control over it. So she finally just sat on her arm to keep it from jerking from her body. So there are people across the state that have been so incredibly harmed, but they're, they're not just sitting back. They're being vocal and they're sharing their stories to warn other people Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't happen to them or that they at least have informed consent that this may happen. Right. Because if I'm not mistaken, hang on my dog, saw car, but if I'm not mistaken, they're still saying in LDH that nobody's been killed injuries and stuff which I drives somebody me. I said this isn't they're like show me the science show I said well these poor it, it's there you just you literally have to go dig for it because it's not going to be on the yeah. CDC's website I said but this isn't even about that I said people are waking up because they are getting injured or their loved ones are getting injured and unfortunately that's my that might be what it takes for some people. They just won't believe it. And that's fine. But at least like you said, they had informed consent. Okay. This could happen. But a lot of the people, they honestly just don't believe that it can. I I don't know. I swear some of these physicians I speak with, I'm like, ah, they just, they, they have this, I swear it's blinders. I don't know what else to say. I'm like, I don't know how either you see it, but you don't want to tell me or, you know, you, your fear of something going on or, or you just, you are blinded and I am, uh, I don't know what to do about that, but we can just agree to disagree on your fifth booster. Good luck. So actually I thought this was amazing. You know, at at the hospital, there's charts and it has a, um, a status next to their name, vaccinated, unvaxxed, unknown, whatever. Well, this person said overdue for booster. And I was like, okay, well, let me go check. Cause they told me they got their booster. So let me go see. They had gotten four shots already four, but because their last fourth shot was six months ago, we, we, our computer said you're overdue. And so I asked one of my nurses who's actually, you know, very supportive of the vaccine. He's gotten hit three shots, but I think he's done after that now. But I said, what's yeah. the plan here? Are we just going to keep on going until forever and ever. And, you know, he's clearly pro-vax. He's got, he's boosted and everything, but like, what, what are we doing when mm-hmm. you, you've gotten four shots? You're also dying of cancer. Can we please focus on that and not Let's, oh, get another fifth shot for your COVID. And that goes back to your part of the federal uh, statutes with a drug under EUA. Um, There's a reporting system that physicians are not being told how to use or when to use. Um, And again, it goes back to LDH and that, um, I I don't know if you remember that hotline that they made available. Yes. And then the amazing that that I didn't know any medical professionals that knew about the hotline. I I was sitting next to a pediatrician during that hearing and she leaned over to me, you know, know, pediatricians, I mean, they give vaccines. That's part of their job, you know? 
that yeah. their pediatric um, population is like the most vaccinated demographic in the United States. And so she leaned over next to me. She goes, I've never heard of that number. I've never heard of that. We had a, a woman contact us last fall who um, started menstruating after she was, after she got the vaccine, she'd been men- menopausal for years and she was on her fifth month of menstruating since she got the, the COVID vaccine. And she called us to, to, to let us know that she called that 800 number at LDH. And uh, the person that she spoke with at LDH told her it was not associated with the shot. It did not deserve to be reported. And I was just like, they don't get to determine that. It literally states, it states in the FDA briefing document and the fact sheet for providers and the fact sheet for patients, it states irrespective, adverse events, irrespective of attribution to vaccination. So if somebody comes in, you know, next day and has a heart attack or stroke, can't talk, can't walk, whatever, they have to report it. They don't get to say, oh, it's not associated with the shot. It's a drug under, it's an experimental drug under EUA. If they come in, they have something wrong with them after the administration of the shot, especially if they've died, they have to report it. It's a federal law. Uh, providers are mandatory reporters under federal law. And nobody seems to know that, you know, I have, we have, um, I have another nurse friend who has a stack of adverse events that she's been documented, like literally probably four inches of paper stacks of people that have um, had experienced adverse events and the doctors are just blowing it off. No, it's nothing. It's a stroke. It's, you know, it's whatever. Forget that they had their booster, you know, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, still within the reporting period. And even if it's not, we have no long-term data. They, yeah, if they get cancer four months later, report it. We need to know if there's an epidemic of right. cancer four months after the administration of the shot. Nothing's being reported. So when it comes to LDH and the whole rollout of the the shots and stuff, awful, absolutely awful. We actually wrote them a letter in March of 2021 when we were hearing from nurses and from individuals. You know, I have a family member who um, passed away after they received the COVID shot. No VAERS report was um, filed or anything like that. And we kept hearing stories from people. People were contacting us. So-and-so passed away. No, no VAERS report. This person is, you know, presenting in the hospital with what's basically like stroke-like symptoms. No VAERS report being filed. So we wrote a letter to LDH saying, who's informing these people? You have a, we have a statewide system. There was a law passed in 2019 that tracks adult vaccinations. So everybody that's getting a shot should be in this system. Nurses though, we're hearing from nurses saying that they can't access vaccination history, but they're seeing people with altered mental status, stroke-like symptoms. They can't walk, can't talk, whatever. And they can't tell us if they'd been vaccinated or not because they could not access the statewide database. And I'm like, why in the world do we have this if nurses aren't able to access it during a pandemic with an emergency drug? So anyway, I sent that letter in March and about a month later, I heard from a nurse saying all of a sudden, I can see patient um, vaccination history on their uh, electronic um, history that pops up when they're admitted to the hospital. So uh, about a month after that letter, nurses were able to get that vaccination history. And that's when a nurse started documenting what she thought was vaccine injury. And none of it, none of it, because doctors were saying, oh, it's not associated. It's not this. It's not that. So here she is with a 
of um, vaccine injury that's not been reported. So LDH has done an awful job of communicating a physician, any kind of provider's responsibility, legal responsibility to report. We have no idea the safety of this drug. No idea because it's not been adequately safety tested. There's no uh, safety reporting. I want to let you know something too. So one of my one of my nurse friends, she was renewing her um, ACLS certification, was which is Advanced Cardiovascular Life Support. So think about a code blue situation. Everybody's familiar with that. So it's very critical. Um, mm-hmm. And sh- you know, it's an eight hour course. You got to go. You got to take a test. You got to actually have a um, not just a, a written test, but you also have to do a mock code. I guess you could say. Well, one of her questions was the patient presents with tachycardia, which is the heart rate was 120 and some chest pain. You know, what could this be? And so one of them was patient recently had a cough and a fever. Um, and yes, okay, so that's right. The second option was patient had a COVID vaccine a week ago. That was an option. And then two other ones that, yes, they could have been causing a high heart rate and some discomfort. So, but she literally, she's like, I know I needed to pass this. So I know what to say. So it was literally all of those options, except I got the COVID vaccine a week ago. And that really stirred something so hard. And Cause I was just like, that is, we are indoctrinating nurses and physicians to think it cannot be the COVID vaccine. No way can it be the COVID vaccine. And I am, I just like who, who sits there and reads this and and does their certification and they, they believe that who believes that it's a problem. And for you to sit there point blank when it's in the Pfizer's documents of side effects, (laughs) I'm like, you're saying that, but actually, according to the science, which I thought we all loved science, that's what it is. So, oh, my blood, it gets me boiling when I think about what they're doing to medicine because they are destroying it. And it's really, really upsetting. So, yeah, Yeah. just a little tidbit of, of what's going on with some of the shady things happening. That's extremely shady. So nobody locally is controlling your ACLS, the questions on there. And not to mention some right. of the other questions I've had from, you know, like your continuing ed and all this. It was it was actually regarding the flu shot, but it was how to verbally explain when you have a patient pushing back that they don't want the vaccine, what are some verbal cues to force to coerce them into getting taking the vaccine? Not one of them was it was safe and effective. It was all the proper verbal tech, you know, communication on how to sway them to get it. And it's just, yeah. it's insane. It it's literally in, because again, there are some federal guidelines about what providers are supposed to, how providers are supposed to inform uh, a patient when they're giving a drug under EUA. And it, it just literally has not been done. And one of the, the gaps in that reporting system that we tried to fill during this past legislative session was, um, requiring coroners to report. Under the federal law that guides all of this, 
only providers are mandatory reporters and coroners don't provide vaccinations, not in their job as a coroner, right? They may have a, they may be a physician and do it outside of that, but as a coroner, they're not a vaccine provider. So they don't have, they don't have that mandatory reporting um, guideline or law that a nurse or a doctor may have or a pharmacist. So we actually introduced, uh, Representative Raymond Cruz introduced some legislation that would require a coroner to just look at the, the, the link system to see if an individual had been vaccinated within, I think it was 60 days, we said, we specified, um, and to see if they'd been vaccinated within 60 days and if they had to file a VAERS report. Yeah. And the, cor- the coroners fought us. The coroners oh, fought us. Well, you know how much extra work that is? That's yeah. the other thing too. People are tired. People are yeah. tired. People are busy. So it's like one more extra step. I can't. And then yeah. to do VAERS, I mean, the, the process is so antiquated. So Nobody knows how. We don't have a, nobody's taught yeah. us. You, yeah. I mean, it's just, of course, they're going to push back. I spoke with a coroner after my loved one passed away. I spoke with a coroner just to see, you know, are you seeing a lot of individuals coming through your office since the vaccine has been rolled out? What does that look like? And, and you know, are you seeing a lot of vaccine um, individuals that have been recently vaccinated? And he said, well, he said, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't look at that. That's not yeah. one of the things that we look at. When an individual comes in, he said, that's one of the flaws of the system. He said, and this is stuck with me. He said, the deceased don't report. So when we rely on a passive reporting system, dead person's not going to be able to report their own death. Who, who is going to speak on behalf of these people? Because I mean, more than likely they're, they're, they're drive through nurse that administered the shot isn't going to check up on them, you know, the V safe that they're supposed to input into, I mean, it's just going to figure, well, they're fine. Who's who's speaking up for the individuals. So we thought it was just a common sense thing, but anyway, the coroners fought us on that and it died on the house floor. So I was really disappointed in that. We're going to try again, but um, it was really, it was really disappointing. Mm, I bet. I know that's yeah. the emotional roller coaster. I'm sure you're. Well, we've all been on one, honestly. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's next? Like, I, I know a lot of nurse friends yeah. have even asked me, like, what's advice for for a healthcare professional who maybe wants to get involved but scared to speak, or a parent who wants to get involved? What are some ways someone can get involved, especially medical professionals? Because I do feel like, and especially physicians. Um, it's very difficult to speak out. It really is. So many yeah. people that I speak to are just like, ah, you know, thank you. Thank you. They, you know, yeah. and like, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. Thank God. So, you know, we've got a voice, but, and I yeah. get where they're coming from. Um, God's just blessed me with a loud voice. And, yeah. but I understand not just people don't have that, I guess, personality to just, shout from the yeah. rooftops, but also the fear of what could happen to their careers, their livelihood, yeah. et cetera. Well, you know, you don't have to speak at a committee hearing like <laughs> you do so bravely. You can just communicate with your legislators, but leverage your credentials. Make sure that they know that you're a medical professional, what your training is, and make sure they know what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, we we relied so heavily on just a, a handful, basically um, 
Representative Edmiston because her assistant, again, was so fantastic, Catherine Gopel. She took care of, she communicated with so many businesses and schools and stuff like that. She was writing letters for us left and right. So, but the the flaw in that was that the individual's legislator was not aware of it. So we need people to be in communication with their legis- their state legislators to let the and federal legislators too, their congressmen, their senators, to let them know what their COVID experience has been. How did the mandates affect their job, their education? Um, did they have to move? Are they going to move from the state? You know, because of what they what has happened here. Be in communication with your legislators and let them know how important health freedom is to you. Because people aren't people aren't flocking to to Florida because they want to go get a vaccine in Florida. They're flocking to Florida because there's freedom over there because businesses are not being oppressed by the federal government. Their governor is sticking up for them. He's creating a a workforce for military that have been forced out. He's creating their own state militia or whatever. I love that. I did not know that, but that's amazing. It is. So people that are under these mandates, he is creating an environment of freedom. Mm -hmm. And that is what is appealing to people. They're not going to Florida to get a vaccine. They're going to to Florida to get away from a vaccine mandate. So we need our legislators to be aware of how these mandates, whether it's masking, whether it's vaccine or whatever has impacted their lives. And for medical professionals, please, please, please leverage your credentials. Tell them what you do what your work experience has been, especially if you've seen vaccine injury on the job and it's gone unreported, how it has affected your life. That is the best way for people to get informed. Please sign up for, you know, our emails and our newsletters. um, So you can be aware of the work that we're doing. We have actually already started working on next year's legislative session. Of course you um, have. So um, I've already reached out to a legislator that's going to carry the legislation that DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, just signed into law about no patient left alone mm-hmm. so that no patient is left alone, no nursing I home. I saw that. Yes. Very yeah, you know, just all I can do is yes, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it goes back to human rights. Nobody should die alone. Nobody mm-hmm. should that die alone. My, or sit there in severe anxiety, only making yes. your food, only making everything worse. And no yeah. advocate. Oh, I could go on about that. <laughs> yes, oh. yes, yes. You know. So we've already got somebody carrying that legislation for us next year. Um, but next year is going to be kind of a different year. It's it's what's called a fiscal year. And they only, each legislature, legislator can only introduce five bills. So, you know, this year we had legislators introducing as many as 20 bills. So it's going to be much more scaled back than it was this year. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank God. I mean, I can't go through another session where I'm carrying 50 bills. That was right. That was So, um, but, but in the meantime, before next legislative session, we're going to be working with our congressmen. Mm-hmm. So I had the 
opportunity to meet uh, Congressman Clay Higgins last weekend at the the LA GOP thing in Lafayette. I just really admire him. He's actually introduced federal legislation to prohibit, you know, vaccine mandate. And so um, we're just waiting for midterms so we can get some uh, Republicans in and kind of tamp down the madness, I guess, a little bit of the Biden administration stuff they're pushing through. We're hoping that our military um, the military mandate goes away when we after midter- midterms and we have people that can vote it down. Um, but right now we're just kind of in a, a waiting pattern until we have some um, some reasonableness, I guess, if you will, and back in D.C. if there's ever such a thing. And <laughs> if we can make pharma pharma liable for their product, I think it would solve a lot of our problems. Wouldn't that be just amazing, huh? To have somebody liable for their product that they're mandating. I know, I know. Yeah. I think it would, I think it would bring down this house of cards. Yeah. Yeah. It really would. Cause that is, mm-hmm. that is the problem is there's no, there's no responsibility on their part. Yeah. They don't care. They are, and if anybody thinks they do, gosh, I really just, yeah. it, it, it's hard. Like I have some people like medicine saved my life. Medicine's done this and that. And absolutely. I've seen it. I, I love Western medicine when there is a time and a place for it. And I feel yeah. like it's not every single thing guys. Like yeah. there's so many things that we can do naturally to to build our body up, to build our immune system, to, to honestly, to cure our diseases. But we don't talk about that. And it's just straight to, oh, you're depressed. Let's put you on an antidepressant. Oh, you have um, high cholesterol, put you on a cholesterol. Oh, you have this. Hey, we don't talk about diet. We don't talk about nutrition. We don't talk about sun, getting outside, putting your feet on earth. Like yep. just the basics, exercise, smiling. Ah, even when you guys, when you smile, you send happy hormones to your brain. Yeah. So even if you are faking a smile, fake it because yeah. you're sending happy hormones to your brain. Like that was <laughs> honestly one of my biggest thing with the mask is I was like, no, I need smi-. like for me, like I needed smiles. Yeah. I love a good smile. I smile at everybody. I think everybody should smile at everybody. I don't care right. if you're having a bad day or not. Cause guess what? You're getting those happy hormones. Right. Woo. I'm a smile. Mm, I love a smile. Show me your teeth. Uh, make it big. Yeah, I can get excited about a smile for sure. So that was one of the things too. I was, you know, the mask. I was like, first off, it does not work. Second off, the psychological. What is all this right. doing? So, anyways, well, Jill, I really I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing all of this with us. Um, and guys, so go to Health Freedom Louisiana. You said org. Healthfreedomla.org. Healthfreedomla.org. Click on the advocacy one-on-one tab. Um, And a lot of you don't have to be a politician to be involved. I think that's a big thing too. You're like, well, I'm just little old me. What can I do? But something so simple to write a letter. And I love that Jill, a lot of got like templates where you can, you know, email them exactly. You don't have to write it out. You just email like, yes, this is what I agree with. Yes. Can you do this? Using your voice. I just think that's so powerful. And again, that's the whole thing about what I'm doing is helping others find their voice and just to have the courage to just simply write a letter you know, make a phone call. Those small things can really be a big deal. And we need you to do those small things. Be braver. 
Yes. I love that. Jill would always tell me, be braver. And I'm like, oh, Jill, you just don't get it. <laughs> um, and now I get it. Um, I'm still learning. There's still a lot of things I am um, not brave on, but you know, it's just taking that first step and trusting that you're on the right path. Follow your path. So anyways, any last little tidbits you want to give, Jill? Oh, no, I just can't wait to see your audience next year at the Capitol. Please come <laughs> join us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, that's um, I'll have to deal with that when I when that happens. It's hard to think about in the future. huh? <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you and thank you greatly, Jill. Y'all have a great night, everybody. Thanks, Colette. Thank you for joining me, Nurse Colette, as I break down the walls of healthcare and show you what is happening on the inside. Subscribe today to ensure that you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show and want to support us, please share it as this helps us get important content out to even more listeners. See you soon and stay well.